0: We want to create belief that one rental at a time is possible and we want to help you take positive steps forward. If you want to learn more about your host, Michael Zuber, please go to Amazon and buy his book, self-titled or self-published, One Rental at a Time. I believe there's a link in the description. If you're ready to get started with buy and hold rentals, but unsure what to do, I strongly encourage you to consider buying our online course.
1: Hey, everybody, Jim Ingersoll here, hanging out with the always amazing Michael Zuber, who you're going to love getting to know today. It's his second time on the show. He's the author of One Rental at a Time. And guess what we're going to talk about? Buying rental properties. (laughs) As you guys know, all of my success listeners know, it's something near and dear to my heart because um, it changes people's trajectories of their lives if you're able to do it and you have uh, the patience to hang in there um, long term. And that's some of the keys we'll talk through today. We're actually going to dig into how to go from just a few rentals to a whole bunch. And what are some of the ways that you find them, evaluate them, finance them, and keep them for your own financial future along the way. Michael, welcome back to Real Estate Success.
0: Hey, Jim. Thank you very much for having me back. Uh, I'm always amazed about what you're doing and and really admire what you do for your audience. So anytime you want to talk, I'm here for you. Awesome. And you as
1: well. So I've got a copy of your book. I want to tell everybody in YouTube, go to Amazon, get it, one rental at a time. It's a great book. Take a picture of it um, with the book and tag Michael Zuber um, because he loves seeing the selfies with the books. (laughs) So it's great. Here's what it says on the back of the book. This will be our lead in. Have you ever thought about real estate investing as a path to financial freedom? Have you kicked around the idea but kind of felt like you were too busy with work and family responsibilities? If so, one right at a time can transform your life just as it has transformed my life and the lives of thousands of others. Do you still believe that?
0: Oh, with, with every fiber of my body. Yes, absolutely.
1: So what do you think the difference is um, between people that get to be burned out landlords and sell to people like me versus the ones that really hang in there and manage their property to the point and Create a portfolio to the point they get financial freedom
0: well, I think there's a couple of things because uh, it like you uh, a pretty frequent seller to me is a burned out landlord um, so so yes, we have the same experience. I think a couple of things that I've seen in in my history first is they could be over leveraged right they 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 either purchased with with you know the maximum leverage or At some point during the time, they got uh, greedy or overzealous and they did a cash out refinance Mm -hmm. and they basically turned what was a positive experience into a negative. Uh, And I'm not immune to this. Uh, As you know, Jim, in my book, I wrote about how I bought that first property. We were really happy. A couple of years later, I created what I call an alligator uh, and they hurt. And knowing that our property is going to be negative every month and then to suffer the ills of being a landlord, a broken window, a broken water heater, a late-paying tenant. It, it, it's sort of, you know, a death by a thousand cuts, and they're like, get this thing away from me. So the ones that hold on, uh, they have, uh, they're not maximum, they're, they're not leveraged to the hilt. Uh, they were okay putting an extra 10% down. They also do more maintenance, right? They're, they're fixing small things versus, you know what, let's let that run uh, another six months and we'll take care of it later. Some of my earliest mistakes uh, that bit me hard was you know, trying to patch a roof, right? Oh, if we just patch it, we'll get through the rainy season in California. It will be good another year. Nope, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, there's, there's just things that you should do as a landlord, you know, take the early pain versus the late pain. And um, yeah, so that's what I think. I think people that get stuck with negative cash flow or what I call alligator properties are one, two, three bad events from going, I give up, sell this thing, it's not for me. That's what I think.
1: Yeah, you know, and I I don't know if you've you've heard part of my story, but when Cheryl and I got started as landlords in our 20s, I watched my dad do it and he made it look so easy. He was an architect. He did it your way, right? Working full-time and buying properties made it look so easy that Cheryl and I jumped in when we were like 24 and that didn't go well. I mean, it was it looks so good on paper, man. Because <laughs> so it was like twenty thousand bucks for a duplex, and there's a reason it was twenty grand. You don't yeah, have tenants in it too. Oh, but, you know, you don't attract good tenants when you have, you know, loads of deferred maintenance and lack of lack of um, capital to make those improvements, mm-hmm. and you don't have a clue how to manage. Like I didn't. Um, I had. No idea how to screen a tenant, do a lease, an application, none of that. It's just like, literally, yeah. if you showed up, I would meet you after my job working as an engineer all day. You had a pulse and some money in your pocket. Come on in. <laughs> it's well. an easy
0: yes answer, yeah. Yeah,
1: and then, like, stuff would break. Like, near Buffalo, it's cold. So we had a lot of space heaters and boilers, and I didn't have money. To hire people when those things broke so it was before youtube and before the internet i went to walden books and bought a great big hardcover book and i would read in there how to fix a boiler
0: and (laughs) fix a
1: water heater and i I had to like i had to diy it because i didn't have money i was 24 and Mm -hmm. it all looked so good on paper and then cheryl's like we need to sell this thing and i moved to virginia and i did i sold it i didn't lose any money it was all good but that cost me like 10 years of investing because I did it wrong. She swore we would never be landlords again. <laughs> so you asked a really good question recently in one of your social media posts and you're great at all this. Um, you know, what are some of the really key attributes? And I said in there, you got to have patience.
0: Yeah.
1: It's one of the ones I've worked on. And so if you just start buying assets that create cash flow, the equity is going to grow over time, but you got to have patience to, to hang in there.
0: Oh yeah, no question. Um, You know, I I actually just put something out today and it's actually loading on my phone right now uh, up to YouTube. Uh, It is uh, financial freedom is hard, but a better financial future is easy. And it all comes down to time, right? Yes. Having financial freedom with buy and hold rental properties is absolutely possible. I've documented the story in the book, One Rental at a Time. Absolutely possible. But it's hard because you have to, it, you know, you have to think in decades. You have to consistently sacrifice, live below your means, make choices that are not fun um, so that you can eventually you know, create a portfolio that exceeds your monthly expenses. So it's absolutely possible. If you don't want to go down that route, you can have a better financial future just getting one, two, three, four rentals, and I promise you, you know, letting your tenants buy 70 percent of your asset is awesome, right? They're, you put 30 percent down, they're going to pay the other 70 percent over 30 years. You win, I promise. So uh, you've you got a choice, right? Do you want a better financial future? Great, follow Jim, get a couple of rentals. If you want to sacrifice and you're willing to sign in for the long haul, you can have financial freedom. It's not going to be easy. It starts slow. But in time, you will continually add units, and, and you'll get there. So uh, it, it's your choice watching this. Do you want a better future, or do you want freedom? Your choice. Or both. Yeah, or both, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's all good. I'll, take, I'll take one of each, right? Like <laughs> the box at the bottom. All of the above. All of the above, please. There you go. All right, so let's talk about, you know, I, I really do believe that if three to five rentals, um, three to five houses, three to five doors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Changes the life of most people um, if they hold on to those rentals, say ten years. Mm -hmm. Pick a number, whatever number. No
0: question. Yep.
1: But let's talk about somebody who's got who's really wants to go after aggressively finding that financial freedom. How do you go from like three, five, seven houses to start adding more doors, more doors, like yourself and Alex Lugovoy and other people that you know have done that? Mm -hmm. um how do what steps do you take how do you find them how do you finance them how do you analyze them what do you do
0: yeah so there's so we're gonna this is this is going to be a lengthy conversation because there's lots of avenues that you could go down um right going back to the story that's documented in the book the big story the big event for me was realizing that single family homes this is like in 2006 did not make financial sense for the listeners if you haven't read this right? We were buying houses roughly for $100,000 that rented for $1,100. So they made sense. Fast forward three and a half years later, uh, that same house was suddenly worth almost two seventy, dollars but still rented for 1100 uh, So it made no financial sense as a rental property, right? It was, it was an alligator through and through. So what we did is we had a choice. We were at this inflection point that you're asking about, Jim. And what we did is we said, okay, we're not going to buy another house. Uh, and that's all we'd done today, right? We didn't know any different. But, you know, we went to real estate meetups. We went to uh, masterminds like the one that you hold, uh, you know, uh, I think your next one's 2020, Dealmaker yeah. 2020, something like that. See, I'm, I'm paying attention to you. Um, and what we did is we, we decided to do what's called a 1031 exchange. We decided to exit residential. And as you know, residential is one through four units. And we decided to 1031 our equity into what is called small commercial properties. So we moved, we sold all eight houses, technically exchanged all eight houses, and we moved into as small as five units and as large as 18 units. So we went from eight to 80 doors. Uh, this this can be done at any time because what you'll see, the difference between residential financing and commercial financing is, and commercial is five units and above, just so we're clear, is the building is what is being really lent against, not in residential, it's you, the borrower, you, your credit, you, your cash reserve, you, your financial statement. On a commercial property, it's the building or the asset first and you, the borrower second. So even during the, the real estate crash of, uh, you know, kind of 08 to 11, you could still get into commercial lending, even if you were, uh, uh, you know, even if you owned a lot of rentals, which we did, we couldn't buy any more rental like houses because banks wouldn't lend to us right? So we had, we had to do something else. So uh, commercial, getting into the commercial space five to, to 20 units is absolutely possible. It's, it's sparked a lot of our growth. So first is getting comfortable with the difference between residential lending and commercial lending. Interest rates a little higher. They don't do 30-year fixed. <clears throat> um, they typically do 25-year AMS, maybe 5, 7, 10-year kind of fixed. Uh, so there's some differences. The down payment is more significant. Usually it's 35 percent versus 20, right? So there's just some things you need to get comfortable with. But one of the keys to our growth and our financial freedom was moving out of houses when they were overpriced and moving into small apartments when they were underpriced. Uh, and that was, you know, that's that's the first answer, and, and I'm sure we'll go through more. Uh, so I love all of that. <clears throat> all right. So rates in
1: our area, commercial rates in our area are dropping. They're, I'm being quoted like five and a half to five point seven right now, which is really good. Mm-hmm. I, I can cash flow that. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And our call rates are typically between five and ten years. And then I've been through a number of them, and you just—it's—it's it's more of a renewal. Yes. Um, and to keep my amortization going, I drop the years based on the renewal um, at that refi point. Okay. <clears throat> as well as the way I've handled it. <clears throat> I love the idea that you said you went from eight doors to 80 doors. That's Mm -hmm. a conversation and a big jump for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to speak on that at my, my dealmaker 2020 that you mentioned a minute ago and like elaborate on that if you could, Mm -hmm. but you're right. When you go from having W2 income and you fill up all your Fannie Mae properties, then you're, you're done. I think it's 10 per person. Correct. I'm working with my daughter, Chris, on this now because she still works. And then uh, so she can get 10. And then, then she'll be done. And then you got to go into commercial. That's what I've been using for a very long time and, and you as well. And that commercial financing works. In our area, you can do 20 to 25% um, equity and you're good. It's not 30 Okay. Cool. The rates are five and a half, five point seven, 5.7 with a five to 10 renewal. And that all works. It cash flows pretty well and it goes mm-hmm. really well. But how do you find those? How did you go back when you look back and you sold those single families and you went to apartment buildings? How did you start to find them and analyze them to like get out of the alligator lake and into the cash flow lake?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. So one of the first things that I can only say, in when I reviewed our past, I, I wish I could tell you I was this smart in the beginning. I wasn't. I was lucky at best. But when you when you get through it and you go, "Hey, that was pretty cool," um, one of the things that I did is I created a a yield calculation that I use to compare any property I'm looking at. I can take a condo, a one a studio condo, and compare it against a 20 unit apartment building. And, and si- simply said, it's how much cash do I need to take out of my pocket to secure this asset? Uh, and that means down payment, closing cost, and make ready to make it a, a, a functioning asset, right? So that's the denominator or the lower number. And then what I put on the numerator is what's my expected yearly cash flow once I'm getting market rent, right? So you do all the, you subtract all the expenses and all of that. So that produces a, 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 a percentage, and what I have always looked for is I look for some certain number. In today's market, I look for 6%. Back in '08, I was looking for 8%. Back in like 2010, it was 15%, right? Because the market's changing all the time. So again, I wish I could tell you I had this. I, I wish I could tell you I knew what I was doing then, but I use that same calculation today. I still use it on every deal I look at. I don't. I think it's a mistake, an absolute mistake for investors to go, hey, here's my mindset for looking at a house. And then, oh, by the way, here's my mindset for looking at a 10-unit apartment building because, A, the vocabulary is so different, right? Go sort of multiplier, cap rate, all this other nonsense that's put out there to confuse people. No, I'm a buyer. I'm going to give you hard-earned money out of my savings account or money market account or whatever, and I expect some kind of return on that. Why should it matter if it's a residential house or a commercial apartment building? And, so you, um, you start with the amount
1: that you have to personally contribute or your business contributes. like yeah,
0: comes and, I need to wire out of my account. Yes, absolutely.
1: And one of the things I like to look for is opportunities where I put as little as possible and leverage as much as I can, knowing that, that I got it back into my financing with at least 20% equity. Mm-hmm. And then the debt service cover ratio forces me to have cash flow also. Mm-hmm. So, if and the question for everybody is like, if you could buy apartments with as little money out of your pocket as, as you needed, then you could buy as many as you want.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody has their own, own. once you do this enough, right, and we're now talking to people that in theory have four or five, even 10 houses, right? right. So, they have some some experience. What you should be what you should be at this point is understanding who you are and what you do. Right. In your, in your example, it's about minimizing out of pocket cash, uh, looking for that value add opportunity, uh, looking for that, that leverage. That, that's great. It works. And lots and lots and lots of people do that for me at this point. I, I, I it's, that's too much work, right? I want to be able to compare a 10 unit apartment building with a one bedroom condo and go, Hey, I don't care. If trust me, if I pay cash for the condo and like cash, and, and full make ready, and it produced a better return than a 10-unit apartment building, I'd sure. buy the condo every day, all day long. Even if it took more cash, it doesn't matter. But if you're
1: looking at a 10-unit at a um, apartment, and say it's a million dollars, okay, you could, if that was like full retail, then you could just put your 30% down, but that's $300,000. Sure. And that takes a lot of people right out. Oh, yeah, of course. And so For that reason, a lot of people get stuck and they're like, I can never make that leap from single family to multi without like yeah. syndicating and doing a fund or something like that also.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I can only tell you, uh, A, I was that person, right? I, I had, you know, for the first eight, year, eight years of my 15 year journey, I never thought I would own anything but a house. I didn't know any different. I grew up in a house. I thought all houses were three-bedroom, two-bath, 2 garage. Two I mean, I didn't know any different, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm busy working 60 hours a week. I, I have barely enough time to look at stuff. And, and I thought apartment buildings were owned by hedge funds and, like, very, 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 very rich people, right? Like the, like the right. top 1%. And um, what I found out is, no, if you, if you buy some houses and they appreciate, uh, you can do a 1031 exchange. So I got into those. I went from eight houses to 80 units, yeah. no new capital, yep. nothing. That's, that's I took key nothing out of my bank. You it, right, from
1: your single family to your multi.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's absolutely possible. It's just sometimes you need like, if we're talking to somebody who's got five or eight or ten houses, yep. in eight to ten years, assuming appreciation and mortgage pay down and all of those things, you're going to be sitting on a pile of equity, And who's to say you couldn't 1031 out of two houses into a 10 unit apartment building? What I would tell you is run the numbers, right? Because um, I was often the bigger is better guy, right? You know, 10 units is because I experienced, right? For example, the first house I bought for 100 grand sold for 270. I ended up 1031ing the equity into a $230,000 five unit building that rented for triple. Yeah. Right? So, wait a second. $50,000 less and rents are, you know, triple. I mean, what's wrong with this equation, right? But sometimes bigger isn't better. And I don't, you know, at least in my market today for the first time in 15 years, uh, apartment buildings are priced for perfection. And I think people are going to get hurt. I think single family homes today are better investments than apartment. Now that's, that's rare. I think it's the whole Grant Cardone effect and syndicators (laughs) and just so many people chasing, because there's not many of them, right? There's only a handful of small apartment buildings available at any one time, and if you suddenly triple or quadruple the demand for this finite yep. set, prices go up. Right? Simple economics: supply and demand. So and
1: it, you know um, you're on the West Coast. You're in Fresno and the Bay Area and stuff. And yep. Are they still selling for like a three cap out there?
0: Oh, oh the Bay Area is in the high twos at this point. Yeah. Uh, and Fresno itself's in the fours. It's crazy. Yeah. I've never seen it. Even in the peak, they weren't this. They weren't this crazy.
1: Yeah, so they are in high demand. What are some of the other things that, that an investor trying to figure out how to go from eight units to 80 needs to start thinking through?
0: Yeah, so first off, I would tell you is, um, and we kind of hinted it that already, there's, no, there's really no difference. If you've done the time and you've done five or six or eight single family homes, you could absolutely get to 80 if you choose to, right? There's nothing else you really, it's a mine. It's, it's just adding a zero. That's, that's, that's all it I'm is insane. right yeah it's it's just an extra zero and um sure the financial paperwork's a little bit bigger yes you need to have your ducks in a row as far as your tax returns and statements and reserves and all of that but it's not any different rent calculations lease ups you, you just you need to budget it a little bit better you need to realize that tenant management is more difficult in an apartment building versus a house that was one thing that i learned right? My average tenure for houses is about five years. It's a little bit more than five years. My apartments are just over two years, right? So just plan for that budget for that, right? people People's desires to get to a home. Once they're in a home, they don't want to leave. People in apartments are more transient. They're often younger. Maybe they're single when they start. They leave when they get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You know, just realize that you need to have management. And that's why I say that apartments are priced for perfection today and hence the low cap rates is because um, if we get into any kind of recession, um, you know, unemployment doubles and that a double is not even crazy, right? Going from 3.7 to 7.4. We've seen that three times in our working careers at that high. So, uh, I think, I think people need to be careful in, in, in that market today. Um, because what I saw is yes, occupancy goes up in a recession, but what killed me was all my turns because, and I, and I know this because I had two years of tax returns where yes, I had almost 100 percent occupancy, but I kept having you know 25 percent turnover um, because people kept leaving. So just be careful, but uh, plan for it. Right there's there is no there's no difference. It is just a zero. Um, yeah, you know I saw an interesting
1: um, article from from our friend Jeffrey Taylor. He was quoted in Forbes yeah. magazine is landlord. Yeah. One of the things that I caught that he said was he offers flexible rate, flexible terms, particularly for like the millennials and the young people who like to be mobile. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned in there that he will allow them to do a 12-month lease or a month-to-month. And if they choose month-to-month, he charges them an extra 50 bucks a month or whatever. It was an interesting take on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like Mr. I, I follow him. I think he's wonderful. I think what he does uh, and did at your last event uh, was fantastic. Yeah, I like him. So
1: um, so if you were going to go from 8 to 80 again and you had single-family homes, you could transfer the equity over to cover your down payments, mm-hmm. what, would, what would you do first? Would you sell the, sell the 8 mm-hmm. and then get them into, it's lined up for 1031 and then hope that you can quickly find the apartment buildings? Or how would you, how would you sequence it?
0: No, I would do exactly what we did last time, um, which is, is is I would identify, first off, I would go learn, right? I'd spend six months learning that market, right? Because if I know single family homes, you shouldn't assume, you know, small commercial. So go spend 90 to 180 days learning that market in your chosen area and see if the numbers are truly better. They were absolutely better for us. So it it made sense. Uh, What I did is I actually identified two to four targets that I liked. Because again, remember when I was selling, part of this is just my history, right? I was selling houses in 06, right. which, which was kind of easy, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So, but the hard part was identifying. So I would go find two to four targets that I liked. I would then list a house. It would go into escrow. And then I would go make offers on those two to four units, try to work it out. And um, you know, my average time inside of the 1031 exchange was less than 30 days oh, because awesome. I would do the legwork first. Right? And my shortest time was five days um, because, again, I would, just, I, I would work this out and close the house first, put it in the exchange fund, and then move it in, into the other unit. So I would learn the market first, make sure the numbers work. Uh, I would, because the dates of a 1031 exchange are so fixed, they are. I would never just list something and then hope. Right. Because then you, you get to the end of that, you have, you have two choices, and they're both terrible. One, overpay for something, or two, pay Uncle Sam.
1: Right.
0: I'm not a big yeah, fan of like
1: either one. Yeah, I understand. Yeah.
0: So, <clears throat>
1: okay, so if you look at a duplex, a quad, or something a little bit bigger, say a six unit, eight unit, ten unit, is there differences in the way that you analyze them for cash flow and equity? Or is it uh, just I, sequence out all the rent rolls and expenses mm-hmm. and go?
0: I would say um, it depends on the layout, right? If it's more like if you can do like a six or eight unit building where they, they feel like individual houses, they're not like stacked on top of each other. Right. You can do the math like they're houses. That's often not the case once you get to 10 units and above, right? They're kind of, they're at least in my area, right? Five on the bottom, five on top, or, you know, four, 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 right? They're just closer together. Yeah. So what I have seen, and again, I, I have the luxury of getting lots of data, right? I, I once did a, a 60 month or five year look back, Um <laughs> Uh, my turnover is higher in the stacked, so I have to raise my reserves um, every month, right? Uh, to the tune of somewhere between 250 and 400 dollars, depending on unit count, because I know I'm going to have more turns, so I have to budget for that. Uh, but if they're spread out and they're like individual houses, and I can create separations or little four-foot fences or whatever, uh, then I could, I can reduce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that you know it's you know, you've got a budget for capital expenses roofs and water heaters and, and all of those things um, but as far as the general calculation it's it 's roughly the same. The only number that would really change between a 10 unit apartment and a single family home would be the reserves for turnover uh, in vacancies because it will be higher my numbers say in an in apartment than it, they will be in a house
1: you know i 'm glad you brought that up about cash reserves I think that's a mistake that a lot of landlords bank. Um, well, first of all, they spend their, a lot of landlords will spend the, the security deposits <laughs> and then they will spend all of their money and then something breaks or they need a new roof or whatever it is. And yeah. stuff does happen. And my goal when I rehab is no maintenance for five years. I'm really strong on the upfront maintenance. Big deal. Yep. Stuff does happen and you've got to have some reserves for that. Do you have any tips for creating cash reserves? Because I do think it's something nobody ever talks about.
0: Well, what I did in the beginning um, is I actually created a separate bank account in a different bank that I have no other right. relationship with. I, I, did not, I didn't have an ATM. I, I made it hard to get at. Yes. Um, so I put money in that other account, and I would go, have to go to that financial institution um, to either deposit or I would take out the checkbook. And, and pay one of those to reserve. So that's what I did. That worked for me. Um, I knew that if I had, had to, admit, oh, let's just have a third bank account at Bank XYZ, it, You know that money at some point would be commingled and my reserves would, would be, be nothing. Um, so for me, knowing myself, I opened another bank account at another institution and did not connect them uh, at all.
1: You were disciplined as far as making the deposit. Yep. If it's hard to take it out, then it just sort of accumulates and all of a sudden – and, you know, when you, when you start getting the commercial financing too, it's one of the things they look at along with yeah. equity, your debt service coverage coverage ratio. You know, I find they don't care too much about your income. Mm-mm. My credit's good, so I don't know how they look at that. But they do want cash reserves as well. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they do.
0: So oh, there's no question. About, I mean, commercial institutions um, – there's a reason that not a lot of commercial stuff went belly up in in eight to ten right is because they had they had real lending right what we suffered through from six to ten was a was a lending problem and the, and a lot of commercial stuff didn't go some did but not a lot by any stretch and it was because they were real loans with real reserves with real asset statements and financial statements and no liar loans and you know commercial lending is legit right so uh, that's what protects them and, and their professionals at it. They were not just some transaction coordinator building up some Wall Street fund so they can you know do some collateralized debt obligations and synthetics and all that nonsense that blew up. <laughs> yeah. All right, last topic. Okay, so now you guys have gone from
1: 8 to 80, and you got to manage it. Hmm. So you've done a really good job figuring out how to find a good property manager. Um, some people think they don't exist. I do think they yeah. do. I've had a couple of good ones myself but do you have any final couple tips on how to find a good property manager could you have outsourced all of that yourself
0: yeah we've outsourced in day one uh, realizing that property management was a key aspect for us because we were two and a half hours away we might as well have been out of state um, we had never been to the city we chose to invest in never spent the night right uh, so we had to do it and again we, we fired the first five uh, so this comes from experience so the number one trait that I now find um, that, that is interesting to me is the principal, right? Meaning the owner, right? The head. I want them to be a real estate investor. I don't want them to be a broker. I don't want them to be a, uh, you know some kind of financial person or insurance agent or whatever. Because a lot of my pain for the first five were from firms that were, yeah, they, they carried a real estate broker's license or they were real estate agents or they were these other things because what happens like when the downturn happened, my property manager guy who I was their number one client suddenly became their number one REO agent for my market. And guess what was paying his bills? It wasn't me. Right? So I had great service for a long time. Suddenly the market changed and he had a license for something else. He went a totally different direction. Um, so I want the owner to be, a, uh, to be, and I don't want them to say, hey, I own my house. No, that doesn't make you a real estate investor. Right? <laughs> I want you to own, uh, you know, half a dozen, a dozen homes. You yeah. don't have to be huge, but you have to think like an investor. And then the other thing I would do is know who you are. How do you want to be communicated with and tell them? Are you a text message kind of person? Are you an email kind of person? Do you want to have a 15 minute phone call every Friday at 9 a.m.? Right? What, what, what makes it for you? Uh, and then in t- today's environment with, with, you know, a lot more systems online, right? Is that how you want to communicate? Do you, do you want to do it that way? So, um, you know, first off for me, the principal has got to be an investor. And then second, know yourself, right? If you are somebody who likes to talk on the phone with someone for 15 or 20 minutes once a week, but your property manager is so busy, they don't have time for that, you know, find that out early. Um, but no, no, know, know how you want to be communicated with and be brave enough to tell them. And if it doesn't work, Great, go somewhere else. There's
1: others out there, so that's encouraging to everybody. All right, so anybody can go from 1 to 3 to 8, and mm-hmm. if you guys really want to go from 8 to 80, then, then take the tips of Michael's sharing today. Also, come back to my bootcampdealmaker2020live.com is all the information there, because you're going to see Michael talk in depth on this topic. I think it'll be great. Um, but you know, I've I've seen some posts recently, Michael, on Facebook <clears throat> from people that like to educate people on things like mass on like wholesaling.
0: Yeah,
1: and they almost like I've seen comments that really bothered me because they're like I don't know if you've seen them, but they're like, is landlording ever passive? And then from there, it's like. You know, every, every, everybody who tries to be a landlord becomes a motivated seller and they sell to wholesalers. And it's like, <laughs> it's like they want people to get into that hole and never escape and never enjoy financial freedom. Because yeah. when you're wholesaling and when you're flipping, you do those transactions forever. It's like being a realtor as well.
0: Yeah.
1: And you never have assets and you're going to work the rest of your life. So I just want to say that to all of our listeners, like if you're seeing threads like that, consider who's making the comments because I'm seeing it from people that that train and educate people how to wholesale. And it's almost like they don't want them to do anything else. Yeah. And I'm here to tell all of you guys, like Michael, I love being a landlord. I really do. I love being a property owner. That's the best part. Mm -hmm. And having assets that that I can be patient with and hold long-term can really change your life. you agree with all of oh, that? There,
0: oh, there's absolutely no question. Um, whether you're wholesaling or flipping, it, it is just another job. And it's an expensive job, right? Yes. You have to do marketing and all of that. Uh, I'm here to tell you, again, one guy's opinion, there will be less wholesalers in 24 months than there are today. Oh, I believe so. Yeah, we, we have seen the peak. Uh, I, I've, I've been doing this almost 20 years. Uh, And every time I start to see the mass of quote unquote gurus come out of the word work, I know it's over and it's over, right? There are so many people out there now marketing and selling courses and all these other things that, oh, by the way, may have even been successful the last five years, but I promise you the next five years are going to be 10 to a hundred times harder than they were the last five years. Game over. People don't have, people don't sacrifice. They can't, they can't dive in. Um, you don't need another job. Do the job you have now as best you can, nine to five. Do landlording as a side hustle. It is absolutely the best way. If you want a better financial future, go get two, four, six. If you want financial freedom, get two, four, six, and then get to 60, get to 80. Uh, It's absolutely doable. You are never going to be financially free being a wholesaler. Sorry, not going to happen.
1: I agree with all of that. So watch those posts. Consider who's posting them and what they want from you in the future. All right, Michael, thanks for being my guest today. It's great to catch up with you. Congrats on everything. You've got an amazing book. All of our guests need to go get it, One rental at a Time. my Selfie. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Michael's a great guy, so connect with him. He's got a great YouTube channel, One rental at a Time. Connect with him in Facebook as well. Um, if you're a friend of mine in Facebook, just look through my friends or just Facebook them and you'll find them in Instagram and all over the place as well. So make sure you do that. Take advantage of it. If you've already read the book, I want to encourage you to go back and leave an author or leave a a review rather. Um, Having written two books myself, I know that those reviews are really critical and they really help tremendously. So if the book made an impact and you haven't left a review yet, make sure you go back and do that. Everybody watching in YouTube or listening in through iTunes, we greatly appreciate you guys. And um, any last comment, Michael?
0: No, Jim, just thank you for all you do. You've been doing this a long time. To see the consistency and effort and passion you give is, is
1: uh, means a fun lot. to see. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It actually means a lot. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for everybody who's been Facebook messaging me and different things about the podcast and the difference it makes with you guys. We greatly appreciate everybody and hope everyone gets out there and creates financial freedom for your family. See you guys later.